Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Good morning. Here, one of the last mornings we're going to have together. Oh, it went so quick for some of us. Some of us might be ready to go back to whatever it is just because we've been so filled up that we're ready to get started again. And so wherever you find yourself, I hope this morning is a continuation of the blessing that this week has been. I know I come here and I, I want to receive as well. It's, it's great to have an opportunity to minister, but the minister still needs to be ministered to. And so I've been just ministered to and blessed with the time. Uh, I, I, let me say some things here. I was just, uh, you're probably going to get me in a different version this morning, possibly. Um, I, I'm usually, I just like have a good time and really, really have fun and, and it might happen. Uh, but I just uh, really feel and really are le- I'm leaning in to the Father's heart for us all. And so coming more from that place, if anything, um, as uh, the, the gift of the apostolic is, is one that really likes to bring breakthrough, and I think that'll be present, but also the pastoral side, the shepherding part, is what I'm really feeling and sensing this morning with the assignment that God has given me. And so, I don't know, I just like to reflect on what has happened uh, up to now and what I've observed with the conference and it just has felt so personal uh, this year. <clears throat> I don't know how the, the former years were, but, uh, but the, in the last, the, just this, this conference, it's like, man, this is this family feel, even, even to the point where I saw it in having a brother minister one day and a sister minister another day. And I was like, that is so cool just to see that family dynamic that I don't know if they were intentional about or just worked out that way. And then it seemed like what was a common theme and what was being shared and ministered really, you know, beyond the preaching, there's been a lot of teaching and inner healing that's been released. And, and I just think that's, I think it's appropriate. I was telling my wife, I said, man, it's just, I know the Issachar anointing is usually related to it being prophetic. But the Issachar and the people of us, or the tribe of Issachar was known for the seasons and times. And I felt like this has been an Issachar moment in that this has been, it just feels like it's appropriate to the season and time that we're in to hear the words that have been released. And, and, and the ministers have really been bearing their wounds. I don't know if you've noticed that, but they've been showing like we are, we've experienced some things with you, and so it's, it's humanized the experience of the minister, where a lot of times you hear these ministers, and it seems like they're so, they got it all together, and it's, it's, it's like, I'm trying to get to that person, and here they go showing up in a room, much like Jesus did to Doubting Thomas. And, and, I, and I believe there's a key there for a world that doesn't know how to trust or is very suspicious towards the things of God and even the people of God. And, and Jesus shows up to a doubting Thomas, and what does he do? He, he lets Thomas touch his wounds. He lets him see his scars. And that's what I feel like it has been happening is like, I think the next healing wave that's going to happen is not pastors to say, you need healing, but saying, here, touch my wounds. And look, even though I've been scarred and crucified and hurt, listen, he's, he's resurrected me and these were not final or fatal to my life. And, and so I, I, just, I just appreciated that because that's how I live. That's how I lead. You know, it's one of the things we do. We make sure we're vulnerable because sometimes it just feels like you're over there and and if anything, I'm just glad to be here to hear the stories and to interact with people, and it's, I just so appreciate that. That's, to me, in these days, it's more important than any sermon I can give. It's just a story of one of you guys that I get to hear and get blessed by. Anyway, so these are just some of my reflections. I have a lot more, but I just want to get moving on what it is that God has got for us this morning, which I kind of had to change a little bit because... Uh, because of the different things that have been expressed, I was like, okay, all right, we're going to give that a different, 
approach because they kind of preach that. That's the one thing. It's, it's, it's trippy. We don't, we don't talk to each other about what we're going to share. Uh, however, it seems like there's a frequency that the Spirit has us in, that we're tuned into the same channel. And it's a, just a matter of, okay, this is my translation of it that will add on to what you heard when you were hearing from God yourself. And so that's what I want to do. I want to uh, share a couple of those things uh, with you. And so uh, today, here's the goal. I'm going to tell you the goal of where I want to end. I'm hoping to accomplish this at the end. I hope by the end of this time together, lots of healing, lots of altar calls, all those wonderful things have happened. And it's like, how many altar calls can we have, right? And they were like, we could have another one. And I know there could be more. And this could be somebody else's moment. But I believe it's something different that God wants to do today. I believe it's less of an altar that he's inviting us to and more of a table that he wants us to sit at and come to. And so I want to hopefully set it up so that you are coming to a table rather repenting at an altar. You know, when Jesus, in Luke 4, it's this moment where after Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin, his family member, he gets up out of the water and he hears the voice of the Father. I know a lot of us are looking forward to getting to heaven and hearing him say what? Well done, good and faithful servant. And while those are going to be important and significant moments in our lives where we can get there and say, man, we poured so much out. And he sees as what we've done with the right motive and the right heart. And we did it as unto him. And he'll say that. However, I think there's some words that we need to hear before we go to heaven that are as significant now uh, and, and are so important now so that when we get there and, and until we get there, we're able to hold on and endure. And it's the words that Jesus heard after he got out of the water and the words that he heard or that he heard from the Father coming from heaven is, this is my son who I am well pleased. This is my child who I am well pleased with. That's, I'm hoping today we just get rocked by the reality of how amazing God sees you. Because Jesus did not perform any miracle before he heard these words. Jesus did not perform anything and do anything when he Receive these words. A lot of us think that we have to perform something, and maybe that's what's going to happen when we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But God shows us is that he thinks you're amazing as you are. And there's just something in that moment. It's like, well done. Or, or he says, uh, uh, I am well pleased with you. Like, you are awesome. You are amazing. And the next place he goes, and it says he is filled with the Spirit after he leaves that moment. Filled with the Spirit. And where's the first place he ends up? In the wilderness. Well done. He's like, I love you. You are amazing. I'm so pleased with you. Let's go to the wilderness. And that's kind of what our sister was talking about yesterday, just that wilderness experience, that test if you really believe what he said. And if, if, if you're, you're convinced that what he said can carry you through that moment and what he's given you in his spirit, showing you he's put the treasure of heaven on each of us. He leaves, he, he goes in filled with the spirit, but you see at the end of it, after he triumphs over the enemy and the temptations, is that he is got the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us not just be filled with something, but let's unlock the Holy Spirit in our lives with the reality that we are so pleasing in his sight. So, so that's the goal. Well, I, want, I, want, I want that to be the ending of it all, but let's kind of go into a wilderness. 
All right, let's go into like a talk about some things here. You know, we are all complex and layered individuals. We all have stories and we have things that have happened to us. If I go into my story, I'm one out of seven. I'm a middle child. I'm a pastor's kid. Yeah, that explains some of the problems of, uh, but... But not all of them. But I, yeah, I'm a PK, a uh, missionary. Uh, my, my father was a missionary. He was an evangelist. I had this complex as, as, as a young kid, very introvert, uh, even diagnosed at a young age with manic depressant. I didn't know I was depressed. I just thought I was dark and moody. But uh, I was just, I was, I was depressed uh, going to a therapist at a young age. Uh, and and, and but there, there, there's so much. I grew up in two different worlds. You know, there was the there was the world of the church that was in, but it was the world of the hood that I lived in. And, and so I was, I, was just a, I was a middle child of culture. Uh, it's like, where do I fit? Where do I belong? And, and what does this all look, uh, look like for me? And, and so that's just, there's, there's, there's complexities to us all is what I'm saying is, is that we all have a story. We have, uh, I, I, was, I had struggled with feeling significant. I was undiagnosed with dyslexia and, and ADHD. It was an undiagnosed thing. But the more I learned about it, like, I think I got that. I, that, that, I got that. <clears throat> What did the comedian say? ADHD, like in my day, they just called it looking out the window. You know, it was like, no, like your attention was everywhere. You get, you get distracted. So anyway, um, that, 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 that's, that's me, complex and, and layered. And, and you can go into your story and, I, and, and talk about the different things that are going on in your life and the things that make you, you or, or have riddled you in the past. But, you know, what I, what I found what I found from a God who delivered me from depression and suicide, what I found um, from a God that wasn't just my parents' God, but it became my personal father, uh, from, from my God is what I've learned in all the complexity and all the layers that make up who we are is that there only takes a simple truth to be revealed to us about, like, revealed not just something informed in your mind, but it gets revealed to your heart that pierces through all the layers and all the complexities of your past and sets you free and makes you whole. And so with everything that I'm going to share today on this journey, just, just know that I'm covering different ground, but I believe that there's something simple that can be found in it that's specific to you. That all the years and the complexity of your situation can pierce through and you will get to that place where you will know the Father's heart towards you and it will set you free that you are his child and that he is well pleased with you. I've just been on this journey. I told my church leaders, I said, listen, guys, uh, um, I'm on a spiritual healing journey. And, and so when it, you know, we're as a church on a spiritual healing journey. We, we, we took a lot of shots. It's been, we've been hurt a lot by different people. And, and I just wanted them to know that, hey, I'm in process of healing. And so if your expectations is for me to be just like all that all the time, just know I'm on my personal journey. And if you could rock out with me and you can hang with me, because I know you're on your own spiritual journey. And so we'll go to Together. But if you're hoping that you're going to get a bunch of things from me, I'm just going to redirect you towards the Father because that's the feet that I'm sitting at. That's the place where, where I'm at right now, being healed up. So I, 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 was, I was real with them. I, you know, right now, me and my wife, you probably know this before my church. A couple people know this. Me and my wife are in counseling. We are in my counseling. Not because things are like horrible. It's just because there's perspective. He's like, you know what? We need some mediation. We can't keep going back into these cycles and letting these little things nitpick at our relationship. And so we're in Christian counseling and we need it. And I encourage pastors and leaders to, to be in that. I have some assignments to do. And, 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 but I, so we're in counseling. And since 2016, we've continually lost and feeling lost in terms of the loss of people in our church that really cared for, spiritual children, and betrayal, people putting us on, family members putting us on blast on social media, calling us a cult, calling us this and that. I don't know, do I look like a cult? I don't think I'm smart enough to run a cult. <laughs> like, how, how does that even work? Like, for real, we're a cult? Like, you can go home at any time. You know that, right? You can, you can talk to your family and, okay. Like, I don't know how that works and how people, but anyway, it's that whole deconstruction of your faith movement. Anyway, so, 
So we continue to feel that, you know, we get the goodbye emails and then the social media slander. That's fun. So we, we, we felt that. And my adult children, to be honest, my adult children, I'm a PK, I, I know what it is, but my adult children are still recovering from the loss. And the people that were, people we brought into our home and brought into our lives and were like brothers and sisters, they're still recovering. They, we, we talk through it, but you can just tell they, you know, I mean, we're, we kind of, some of our kids dress up our pain with sarcasm. I, you're like, I do that, and, and, and we do that. And, and, and so one of the things, my kids will come up, and they're getting a testimony of something. It's like, hey, guys, I'm still here. I didn't get offended. Anyway, and like, I'm like, hey, number one, like, you, you guys need counseling. Um, no, 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 no. But, I, but we see it. We know it. They feel it differently. Our children feel it differently. That's one of the reasons I really didn't want anything to do with the church. That's one of the reasons I want to pastor is because of the way people would treat my dad and my mom. I'm like, man, you do all this for these people? Forget that. And, and it's like, these are God's people. I'm, I'm good. I don't want to be a punk and I don't want to be a doormat. I don't, I'm good. And, and here I am, a punk. And I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not that. No, the, the problem is, the problem is, I don't know how to keep my mouth shut when some stuff happens. And I'm like, dang, I'm making matters worse. I just want to tell them how it is. Anyway, anyway that's, that's, listen, there is, there is um, for, for me, I think a lot of other leaders, when they experience pain, I got to get through this because we, we got to get, but I just want to set the scene. Uh, uh, other leaders, um, where they cope because a lot of what happens in pain, we begin to cope. And I think we heard a bit about that yesterday. And in the coping, that's where alcohol comes in. That's where pornography comes. That's why you see these leaders because they're experiencing this pain. And where are they going to go to that, to, 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 to escape it, to do this or that? And um, I haven't been that dude. I'm not that guy that does that. But what I do, and I don't think it's, it's better, is I suppress I don't know if you're a leader that does that. I just suppress. I just, I just, it goes inward. And, and as a result, there's these toxic mindsets that begin to occur because I go inward. Um, and, and, and I have these un, unhealthy emotional life. It gets me into this subtle depression. And because I struggled with that in the past, I begin to realize like, man, I want to sleep a lot more. I just want to kind of get through this day. That's not cool. And so I, I, I've been delivered from that so I can identify when those things happen. But I'm a suppressor. I stuff, I, 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 I stuff it all in a closet. I just, I just, I just, I put all the stuff in the closet of my soul and nothing physically looks wrong with me. As most of us, nothing looks physically wrong, but my insides are on fire. And so, again, they asked me to speak about spiritual healing, and we got to look at healing, and we want to look at that, but we also want to look at the things. We want to be transparent and real that we are not just, it's like one of those things, I'm not just a spokesman, I'm a client. You know, I'm, I'm on this journey as well with you. In fact, right now we're in a series called the Father's Heart Series. I said, I'm on this journey. I'm forcing myself to kind of look at the Father's heart and these different things. I've experienced like pieces of that throughout my Christianity and my faith. But I think we need to lean into this because one of the things I said to them, I said, I, you know us, we're like all about revival. And but what's happening that we want to do a divine do-over with is that what happened in the first season of our ministry is we're preaching revival, we're equipping people, we're demonstrating the gifts, we're doing all that stuff. But here they are with these powerful gifts, but weak in character. Weak in the fruits of the Spirit while they know the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit. And so I said, we, we're going to flip it. I think the true revival and the sustained revival is going to be found in the Father's heart. Is that, that we understand who we are as sons and daughters more than prophets and teachers and pastors and all that other stuff. With those who, with skewed identities, they just, there's a lot of malpractice and abuse with the gifts because of the deficiency and the pain in our soul. And so I'm in a whole different like vibe with that and just been going into that and leaning into that. And it's been, it's been great. It's been great. So I'm going to let you be a part of a little bit of that. You know, physical healing, um, the, the difference between physical 
needing physical healing and spiritual healing is, is, is you could distinguish the both because it's obvious when you need physical healing. There's evidence physically for you that need it. But when it comes to spiritual healing, it's not as tangible. It's not as visible. But you do know something's not right. There's this secret war inside of us. And in the secret war, war false narratives, like if we're struggling, we're sinning. If, we're, if we're, we're, we're hurting, we did something wrong, or God's mad at us, or, or we're just weak because nobody else is doing, uh, going through this, or we're disqualified, or we're just not good enough. I don't know what your narrative is, but these are the things that I've, I've tried to have to unearth from my soul of what was being spoken to me in that quiet, secret war of my soul. Let's start this journey. The journey of just this discovering the Father's heart who says, I am so well pleased with you. I think you're so amazing. And what you're in right now is not a reflection of my animosity and my bitterness towards you. I'm well pleased with you. And like my son, you're going through a wilderness, but there's going to be a filling and there's going to be an empowering moment. And it's what you do in that in-between place. The first thing you need to know about this healing journey, and, and, and it's, it's significant, it's big, is that God is not going to minister or speak or heal your avatar. Now, an avatar is what people create. They're like online personality. It's, it's this thing that you create that you present to the world on, 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 through video games or what have you. Uh, uh, Henry Nouwen calls it the imposter. It's the person we present to the world that that's not us. And God actually refuses to minister. So if you bring your imposter or your avatar to him, it's like, I'm not touching that fakeness. It's you that I want. It's you that I'm after. It's you that I love. I don't want the, the you that you present to other people to get them to love you. And to get them to see you in a certain light. So he refuses to minister, heal the imposter, the avatar. So that's the first thing we need to do is like, then who, who, who am I? And, and, and what does that all look like? And this is part of the sacred journey that we all must be on to be able to present ourselves to our father. And I believe it was said last night, without the leaves. God is not interested in ministering to Adam's leaves. That's the imposter. That's the artificial us that we present to others. That's the, the, the makeup version. That's like, you, yeah, you look, you look good on the outside, but that's not who you really are. You are so much more, in fact. As beautiful as you think you are in presenting that who you are and how I made you has been fearfully and wonderfully made and it's greater than anything that you can imagine. So stop presenting me that when I want the beauty that you possess inside of you and I made you for. And so let's, discovering the Father's heart in this journey, one of the things that we must do is, uh, or part of that, journey of healing, spiritual healing, is you got to discover the sacred space. That there are sacred spaces that are designed for you to be healed. And we can be so busy with life doing this and that, that we don't get to that sacred space. It's the reason why the Sabbath has been put into, uh, it, there's an encouragement for Sabbath. It's an encouragement, hey, just rest. Just get away from, a, just kind of be with me. Be, be in reflection mode. Be in, in contemplation. Kind of look at what has happened throughout the week and reflect on what I'm doing. And just, just and, and in fact, just be. Just be. Just, just let me enjoy you in a place of rest so that we're not working for rest, but we're working or, or we're working from rest is how it was designed for us to live. So we need to find those sacred spaces. We heard it last night, and, and, and good thing it wasn't like the only thing I had to talk about, but we heard it last night where he talked about Elijah. 
and the way that I've shared people about Elijah's story is that Mount Carmel is the picture of ministry. It's Elijah does the ministry on Mount Carmel. And a lot of us are always on Mount Carmel and God had to bring Elijah. Not, he, he didn't minister to Elijah on Mount Carmel. He's like, that's the mountain of ministry. I want to bring you to the mountain of intimacy. And that's over here. I need you to take a journey over here because there's a sacred space where I minister. I remind you of your identity and who you are. I get you to spiritually heal up and recover for the next part of your assignment. But a lot of us are so functioning from Mount Carmel. Is we're always doing ministry. We're always on. We're always doing those things. And it's in that place that God will feed us for the journey and maybe help us and sustain us a little bit. But he wants to move us over to a sacred space where he can whisper, where we can be detached from ministry. That's why we talk about Sabbath and sabbaticals and different things that just help us to rest and recover because a lot happens on Mount Carmel. It's intense. You're disappointed. You're let down. But on Mount of Horeb, where he, Mount Sinai in that place, it's a place where God can be intimate with us and whisper. And it doesn't have to be about the fireworks or the earthquake, earth, wind, and fire. None of that. He's like, God's not in earth, wind, and fire no more. I'm done with that. I am in, he's in a still, small voice. It just ministers to our soul and brings healing to that relationship. So do you have a sacred space, a place where you go detached and you're able to just recover and heal from what has happened throughout your week or your day? And, and, and whether it's just to celebrate and show gratitude or whether it's to, to show God, man, I've been disappointed and hurt. Instead of stuffing it all in and just keep going and, and Mount Carmel, and keep going, keep going till you feel like I am alone. And God takes you over here and says, you're actually not. You're actually not. Well, pleased with you. And, 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 and so discovering you got to find sacred spaces, but you also have to find, get sacred confessions. Your confession is sacred. You're just communicating what's going on in the inside and, and letting that stuff come out. And, and I'm not talking about venting on the wrong people and just saying some stuff. And, and I get it out all the time. I put it on social media and people are like, what's your problem? It's like, no, I'm, I'm talking about you, you're coming before your father and you're taking a moment to confess a sacred confession and getting through the layers of what's really going on because usually what first comes out is not the, the whole story. So you need a place where you've, you, you learn Philippians 3.10. says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And we all love the power part. But how about I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, that I might know him. And the power of his resurrection. It's, it's called the fellowship of the suffering. It's the place where we begin to confess and share and say, God, I got wounded in this. I got hurt in this. And God is able to show you his wounds as well. And he's able to take care of those wounds and minister to those places. And you're able to say, wow, I'm not abandoned. I'm not rejected. We, these wounds look similar like, I think I'm the only one portrayed and there might be something wrong, but you were portrayed by one you cared about and loved and esteemed and dignified and trusted. The fellowship of the suffering is letting him minister to your wounds and letting his wounds minister to you. It's bringing it to the light. It's expressing it through your mouth. I, I believe it could save a lot of dollars when it comes to therapists if you just find these sacred places. And while we could sometimes, we need those counselors in our lives, I, I, I advocate for that. I believe if some of these disciplines and practices on our journey of healing can actually deal with a lot of issues, it's usually when things are all pent up and convoluted and layered and difficult and challenging is when we need some intervention besides just, you know, our, our ability to come before him and, and confess. It's a place where you spiritually become naked before him. You're just like, this is, this is me. I'm all jacked up. I'm all... Like, I don't even want to talk about me, but I, I, like, I don't even bring this up, but I need to. I need to. I need to 
trust someone, then you have always been trustworthy. You've always been good. And, you know, to be honest, I am a little worried about whether you skipped over me this month when it came to goodness, you know, and, and, and you forgot about me and, and you misinterpreted my prayer. There was a lot of people praying at the altar. Maybe it got all jumbled up and by the time it got to you, you got this like, this jumbled up version and when you downloaded it back to me, it's like, so I understand God. No, it's just like being honest. I like to have fun with the Lord. I don't know about you. He's like, he's a father, he's a friend. Um, but then in in those times of sacred confession, here's part of the healing. The sacred confession where you let God, you move towards God in that moment, wounds and pain and all. Uh, confusion, don't even know how to express it. I don't even know if I have the words, you know. Um, is then he moves towards you and he shows up in your life and does something that you never have seen before. And it's uniquely, it's unique to the fellowship of the suffering. There's some ways that you will never know God unless you enter into moments of confessing and suffering with God. And Hagar found that out. Because Hagar was, she, she, she was kicked out of the house, right? Abraham and Sarah, and she had, she had her son, and her son wasn't welcome to the house because how he's beefing with the younger son, and we, we get it. And so he, she, she moved out the house, and or she moved, and they pulled her out, and she was in the wilderness. And here she is. She's without a job. She's just wandering in the wilderness. And you would think for a woman and all that's happened, like, okay, the scene would be God would stay with Abraham, and as Hagar exit the scene, kind of a mistress of Abraham, that's it. We won't hear about her again. But you don't see that with the father. He's, he, there's still something in her story that he looks out for her and he cares for her. He, there's, a, there's this moment where her and her son are kind of starving out there and, and then he shows up and he speaks to her and he provides for her son. And she calls him for the first time, and we see this depicted in the Bible, one of his names, Elroy, the God who sees. In her suffering, she discovered that, oh, I'm not overlooked. She could have easily felt overlooked by just, here's a man of God that put her out. And now she's, she's over here, she's wandering in the wilderness with her son. It just feels like it's just a whole illegitimate situation. But she discovers that, you know what? God is a husband to the widow. He is a father to the fatherless. And here in that sacred moment, in that sacred confession, she discovers God in a new and profound way. I believe it brought healing and think about the healing that we need when we're going through what we're going through. And then I like this one and it's you, in the healing journey, it's important to have sacred people and we need to have sacred people in our lives. This is not just anybody, y'all. This is, this is people that God has specifically put in our lives for those moments that, you know, we, we confess to him, we get in spaces with God, but we also should have friends and people alongside us, they're these sacred people that God puts there for us that we can be spiritually vulnerable with. It's, it's why, again, going back to the Elijah story, it's like, Elijah, you are not alone. Here, get some sacred friendships. They're over here. And so he puts him in faith community. And here in this faith community, he finds an Elisha who can kind of tolerate his his different antics and the way he is, he just kind of muscles through all that stuff. This is a friend that he can be spiritually vulnerable, that he can be candid with, and he's not going to be weaponized. The, the, the things that Elijah shares with Elijah is not going to be weaponized against him later on. Have you ever said to somebody, something to people in trust and confidence, and next thing you know, it gets used for you later on? Yeah, you got to be careful that we're just not flippant with what we're sharing. But that, that God, give me discernment or the people that are sacred in my life that you sent for me. 
Not on an assignment from the enemy because they might look the part, but actually they're on assignment for you to be in my life. Elijah was able to do that not just for Elijah, but later on, you, you, there's a story here in 2 Kings. It says, one day a group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, as you can see, this place where we met with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried. It was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall, the man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elijah cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe had floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. It's a story. I don't know if you read that story before, but I just took something in my healing journey from that story of how God sets up sacred people in our lives. Here is this man, a prophet. They're just doing ministry. They're just building a place. And as they're building the ministry, all of a sudden a mishap happens. Like it doesn't, doesn't mishap happen all the time in ministry where he loses, watch this, his cutting edge. You're just doing ministry. You're just whopping away. You're just building something for God. You're just doing this in the community. And all of a sudden, your cutting edge is lost in the midst of ministry. Who do you talk about that with, right? And like, man, it's just like, it's, I'm not as sharp anymore. I'm not as effective anymore. And, and something's going on. Who do you talk to about the fact that you might have lost something along the way? Kind of want to hide the stick. Like nobody pay attention to this stick behind me and not really effective. And, and, and you could pretend all you want, but you know you've lost something. You've lost something. You've lost uh, the reason. You've lost effectiveness. You've lost impact. And so this prophet goes to a spiritual father. And he says, hey, I need you to help me. I lost my cutting edge. And he shares this with this sacred person, Elisha, the man of God. And like the sacred people are going to do in their life, they're not going to get all down on, look at that stick, and how did you lose that cutting edge? And they're not going to bash you. They're just going to come alongside you and say, hey, when did it happen? What, what, what was the situation? What, what took place? And, and they almost act like therapists, right? They're these sacred people in your life that just get down to it. And it says, it was this moment right here when this happened that I lost it. I lost trust in humanity. I lost just a desire to serve. I lost something in that moment. I was just operating and going through the motions. But this is that moment. And they, I would say, okay. Let's, let's take this part of a tree and let's let the cross redeem this situation of where you lost it. Let's apply the cross. Let's apply, let's apply something in that situation and watch and see the supernatural recovery that happens through your sacred people and friends that are in your life that maybe been there, done that, and God gives them a super download, supernatural download of wisdom of what exactly to do that speaks of his ability to recover even when we lost. With good intentions, just bad things happen while we're cutting away and doing the work of the ministry. I have sacred people in my life. I'm happy about it. I need them like on all, call all the time. I have this one friend of mine's, uh, which one do I want to talk about first? Let me talk about, there's two particular that like have been like gifts in my life. Well, Apostle Phil, Pastor Phil, my pastor is amazing. I remember going through all this stuff and, and I tell people how I got through 2020 and all this portrayal stuff. It was like, it was God, but it was the sacred people that he put in my life. And Apostle Phil was a lifesaver. You know what he did? He was like, you know what the enemy is after? I was like, what is he after? He's like, besides my ministry, besides my life, besides like all this stuff. He's like, <laughs> And he said, he's 
after your confidence. He said, if he can get your confidence, it will make you ineffective in leading. If he gets your cutting edge, he will, he will, he will cause you to second guess things. And now you won't stand the way you stood before. Now you won't minister. You will be always second guessing things. And so in your lack of confidence, you become ineffective. And I was like, he just took me to a higher place. I was like, that was so easy for you. And of course, he shares his wounds of how this has happened to him. And it just allows there to be a healing moment. There's this other pastor. Other pastor, I call him the apostle of love. He's in Philadelphia. This guy just loves and hugs. And he's all that stuff. He's like, I'm, and if you know me, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't know. Um, my wife is the hugger. Let's just say it like that. And I said, I can, I can appreciate a hug. It's like, yeah, right. It's like, you always kind of get like these little whatever pats on the back when somebody hugs you. But this is a guy that I can tell the difference between my hugs and his hug. Because he will just wrap you up. And he is just always happy to see me. And he's like, this is what he talks to me. Bro, you're my dude. You're my guy. I remember there was this, um, there, was, there was some things that were happening as we were leading together and doing ministry. And he's like, hey, man, I need to talk to you. He's like, listen, the way that you did that, it made me feel like this. And I don't want nothing to come in between us. And he gave me the opportunity to explain. And he's like, good, I'm getting to know you better as a result of that because I really, I want to do this together. And I don't want the enemy to get in there that causes me to think that we can't work together because of the way that you did that. And so we worked through those things together. Recently, there was a ministry opportunity that the same person was asking both of us to do. And like, they were interviewing both of us for this ministry opportunity. He said, hey, man, like, they called me too. And what do you think? You tell me not to go to that interview, I don't go to that interview. I don't, if, it, if this is something that you want, I'm backing off. I'm like, dude, if it, you need to get this. If, if, if you feel, and so we're just like going back to and forth with each other. Like, you're the man, you are so much more apostle of love. Like, I don't want to screw up more people. You, you, you're good. Like, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. So, so no, he was, he, that's how he is. He's like, hey, man, I'm just calling to check on you. I remember me and my wife were struggling with this uh, thing recently, and he just said, I'm coming over. I'm coming over. And the next day, he said, um, let's, go, let's go out for ice cream and Korean barbecue. I'm like, bro, you're my, that's my love language, dude. You're loving me on different levels right now. <laughs> and so, anyway, just, these are sacred people. They reaffirm the love. I'm learning the love of the Father, not just by spending time with my Heavenly Father, but through this guy right here. He is just super fatherly and loving. And I just feel like, man, I'm known, I'm seen, and I'm blessed to have him in his life. We need secret, sacred people in our lives. All right, this is, this is a good one. This is, the, this is kind of the longest one. I've got seven minutes here. In Jesus' name, stop time. Sun stands still or time or something. All right. Um, <laughs> so, so sacred experiences. I know they, they, get, they give me liberty. Actually, I'm doing pretty good with time. So sacred experiences. So we need to have sacred experiences. Ah, this is going to get a little heavy. It might get a little tense. I don't know. You guys have been great. Um, there is this practice that is... It's called necromancy. Anybody ever heard of necromancy? It's just a, it's a witchcraft term. And in this witchcraft term, it's basically trying to consult the dead about what's happening in life. It's looking to the dead to give you understanding of what life looks like and what's happening. Of course, this was forbidden in the scripture. This was like, no, don't practice conjuring up dead like demons or, or people's spirit and any of that stuff. Well, they could tell us because they're in a different dimension and they can, and so they're, they, they would practice this and this was forbidden in the culture to practice receiving instructions about life from the dead. And again, on my healing journey and what I've seen with people, God instructed me to challenge them that they would repent from necromancy. 
they would repent from actually looking to the dead to make sense of their life. Here's, here's how this looks. So um, it, 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 it happens when, when a significant relationship that we're in has come to an end prematurely and we're still looking to that relationship when that relationship has passed on. That relationship is no longer. And this is where Saul and David are different people in their approach to relationships that have come to an end. Where Saul could not let it go. Saul was one that he, you know, he would, he's, he's, he's doing these things and God has given him all these chances and, and eventually it becomes a place where God chooses another and he chooses David. And then Saul, uh, eventually Samuel the prophet passes away. Now Saul's trying to live his life and do what he's doing and, and it gets to the place at the end of things when there was a, there's a war that's going on. Saul, so desperate to find out what to do from God and, and what this all can look like and, and, and get some consultation about life and whether he's going to live. What does he do? He goes and he looks for a witch in where it was forbidden to bring back Samuel. Basically is like, I need this relationship that was in my life that has passed on, but I still need this relationship. I still need it to do what it's do. I still need it to give me life. I, I can't let go of this relationship. So he goes to what is dead and gone. Of course, you know, it's bad news. It's a, it's a horrible situation, but he consults uh, the dead about life and what to do next. Necromancy, consulting the dead. And, and so what, what am I saying? I'm, I'm saying that there are relationships that God, that are no longer in our life. That we have to give a dignified funeral to. And I think what's happening is a lot of people are living with a lack of closure with these relationships. It happens so abrupt. I get it. It happens so abrupt. It happens so suddenly. It happens so prematurely. I still needed them for this. I still needed them for that. I still needed that prophet in my life. I still needed that man. I still needed that woman. I still needed that person. And so you try to hold on. You try to keep like latching on and keeping it going when it's just time to let it go. It's just, you know, this lack of closure, this, this inability to move on from relationships. So what David did that was different than Saul, check this out, is that David, after the sin with Bathsheba, there's a baby that's coming on the scene. She's giving birth and Nathan says it's not gonna happen. And what does David do? He begins to cry. He begins to repent. He begins to cry out to God. And everybody's watching. And his wife is in labor, I'm guessing. And, and, and as, as the baby is born, the baby dies. And people are like, oh, he's going to be, he's going to be. If that hurt him, this is going to totally do him in the fact that he's the child. And, and so what they find out, and as we read the scripture, is that when they told David David didn't go ballistic. It says David went, took a bath. And I, you know, hopefully, I'm not going to refer to the story, but he, I mean, I'm referring to the story, but I'm not going to read the scripture right now because of time. But he took a bath and lotioned up and got the grub on. <laughs> he, he, he started eating and people are like, Why? You were like despondent before and how can you be so different in this moment? And he explains to them, listen, I, I was before when the baby was still had a chance. I, when that relationship was still there, I was, I was pleading for, I was crying out to God that he would have mercy. But now that the relationship is gone, I can't go to, they'll never come to me. I'm not gonna do necromancy. I'm not gonna try to hold on to something that God is." taken. I can go to them. They can't come to me. And it says after he gets cleaned up and he eats, then he goes and he sleeps with his wife. 
Bathsheba. And she has the son Solomon. This is crazy and this is amazing how God just kind of showed me this because here's Saul holding on to these old relationships is causing him to be so uh, the way he's dealing and working with relationship is he ends up losing it all he loses all the relationships as a result of holding on to this one thing right here he can't let go of these things it's causing him to be all discombobulated with his emotions so he loses his son he loses this a bunch of people are lost as a result of him trying to hold on to what God has taken away and transitioned on. Where David is able to move on from this relationship and as he moves on, in a sense, he gives it a dignified funeral. And this is, this is what I mean by dignified funeral. Is that we've got to lovingly recognize what it was when it was. And then we got to give them into God's hands. See, we, a lot of us don't go through closure like, what happened there? And what, like you're rehearsing stuff. It's like, listen, I'm conducting a funeral today for this relationship right here. And it's not that they've died as much as they've moved on. And it's like, you know, it was, so, it was so good while it was. It was so awesome. And I just celebrate who they were in my life. I celebrate the things I learned while they were there. And now that time to move on, I'm a different person. I'm, I'm coming into something new and different. I'm still his son, that I'm well pleased, even though this feels like rejection, I know that it's just a passing on and a transition. And because we don't do that, we just hold on to stuff. Because there's no funeral moment, we don't get closure on stuff. And it's like necromancy. It's like you're still living with that dead relationship, trying to derive life and significance to something that God says, no longer. Oh man, I had to let go of people, tons of people and other people and just give them a dignified and just celebrate what they were when they were in my life and what that looks like now that I'm moving forward because it's not just them moving on, but it's the old me that's also dying too. See, I think one of the things that David, that it was not just this relationship that passed on um, with the baby dying, but in, in a lot of ways, the old David was dying. The old David, the conniver, the adulterer, the one who got in this situation in the first place. A lot of things were buried and put to the past, not just that relationship, but the old Tim that was a result of that, why that relationship came into bear in the first place. So he's able to move that on, but here's it. Here's it. A dignified funeral is when you say goodbye, then you can say hello. You can grieve the loss, but you don't have to live in the loss. And you have to say, I kiss goodbye to this. And until you can kiss goodbye, you're not going to be able to say hello to this. You kiss goodbye. You kiss goodbye the, the yesterday so you can say hello to the future. You kiss goodbye the despair so you can say hello to hope. You kiss goodbye ignorance the ignorant thing that might have happened with that so you can say hello to wisdom. You kiss goodbye, baby, so you can say hello to Solomon. You can kiss goodbye, I am not loved, and say hello to I am loved. You know Solomon's name means, well, Jedediah means I am loved. Here, this old relationship was a different picture of who he was. And if he would have held on to that, he would have been locked into a past that didn't have a future hope. Can you imagine? Like we could see it from the background. It's like Solomon, after this baby passed away, Solomon was the result of his goodbye of him bringing closure, getting a dignified, and, and the relationships and the blessing that would come through Solomon. Lastly, sacred position. There's a sacred position that you and I need to see in this healing journey. I want you to imagine a king's table. All right. King's table. You go around and, and you would, there's people at the table of the king and they're feasting. And when you go to this table and you look around the room and you see who is there, 
All you can see is dignity. All you can see is, wow, the king loves those guys. The king loves those people. Everybody who's around the king's table, the favor that's on their lives, the blessing that's on their life, you're probably like, man, I'm so inspired by the way the king loves, by who he's put around his table. The king's table, all you see is royalty. All you see is the blessings of the king around that table. There's a person that sat at the king's table, specifically King David. That is what I'm going to show you about sacred position. This is the place where God reframes your narrative. Because around the king's table, in that frame, what you see is all the things I just described. But there's a person at the king's table, name of Phibosheth. Let me show you this. In 2 Kings 9, 3, the king asked them, this is King David, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, and he is crippled in both feet. He's lame. So David sent for him and brought him from Akir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Do not be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah who from, from then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servant. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Wait until you get this. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son. We're going back. Mephibosheth. This is going back to how this all happened. Who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel. The Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, his caretaker heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him. And that's how he became crippled. Mephibosheth, because of what happened at five years old, because of the news that came to someone who was responsible to care for him, mishandled him because of what they perceived was happening. See, when the news hit the caretaker that Saul and Jonathan, they're like, oh, David's going to come after the rest of the family. The king is going to take it all out because that's typically what kings do. They come in, they wipe out the lineage of the old one, the old guard, and then they bring in their family. So the caretaker misinterpreted the heart of the king. And as a result of that, mishandled those in her care. I'm Mephibosheth. I don't know about you, but I'm Mephibosheth I was mishandled in ministry transitions there was people that were responsible for caring for me that just didn't do a good job of caring for me so along the way I developed this complex and this idea about who God was and who the king was that wasn't true but it was because here are the people that were, these ministry leaders that were supposed to take care of me and, and these people that were in my life just mishandled the situation causing me to be crippled in my heart. Lame in how I walked. Years of believing certain things that weren't true. That's Mephibosheth. I don't know if you can relate. I remember sharing this with um, 
most of the people in my youth group are not, are not serving the Lord. And they always talk about the days, like, oh, it was so good back in the day, but then this person did this. And, and they're always talking about the, it was good, but then all this stuff happened and they start to slander. I was like, man, these guys don't know how to transition. And, and then and it was like, God was saying, no, they got mishandled in transition. They got traumatized in transition. And they're walking around spiritually crippled. And my heart to them was like, no, this is not the heart of the Father, although this is what people did along the way, and we're not going to get into the blame game of why that all happened. We just want to know the heart of the King. We want to get to the place of truth. We, won't, we don't want to rehearse a narrative that makes us feel like, oh, I'm just a dog, and, and I'm just not worth it. No, I, I, I want to know the truth of why and what this can look like. David investigates, and he looks for... Like, who can I show kindness to? Like, he didn't even know about this guy. Mephibosheth shows up and thinks he's going to be judged. He thinks, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a goner. I'm going to, he's going to kill me. He's going to, he found out about me and I'm done. And that was not the heart of the king. That was not the heart of a, of, of a person who, who knew his father. His heart was to give him dignity. His heart was to position him in places of favor. What's cool is when Mephibosheth sits at the king's table, you don't see a cripple. That's not in the frame. That narrative is like, you look at the king's table, what did I say? You see royalty. You see beauty. You see favor. You see blessing. You see the king just loves and bestows his blessing on these people that he brought around him. You do not see what's beneath the table because that's been covered up. It's no longer in the frame. He's not a lame when he's sitting at the king's table. He's royalty. That's the heart of our father. And so this morning, probably this afternoon, that this is where I wanted to end. I wanted to end where we recognize that there are sacred places and experience and people, and it's part of the journey that we take from a God who says, I am well pleased with you. Now we're going to go through a process that you'll, you're going to be healed along the way. There's going to be lies that are going to be taken off your life. There's going to be narratives that the enemy is going to tempt you to want to believe because of pain and conflict and betrayal that happens in your life. But if you get through this wilderness, you will not just be filled, but you will be empowered. You will, you will understand who you are and you will in that place invite other people to the graciousness of the king. You will no longer be a lame. So many of us can be spiritually lame and we believe that we just, this is our life lot. God's like, no. Get to the table. Get to the table. We've hit the altar and we've confessed and we've, we've wept before the Lord, which we need to do. Those are sacred confessions. It's a beautiful thing. But I wonder if we would do something different for this time. We, this is not an altar as much as it's a table. And what I want to do, let's stand to our feet in this place. As part of your spiritual healing is that you embrace the kindness and the love and how amazing God sees you. What he says about you. I wish I could hug you all and just, but that's somebody else's gift. Um, but seriously, I was just thinking about today. I was like, ah, oh, God, I just want them to know. Like Pastor Terry's hugs. Like just that embrace that is like, I'm seen accepted and loved I just I'm covered I'm not a derelict I'm not all these things that make me feel like I don't belong or I'm not seen or it's not ah. like I want them to come to the king's table and so what this is going to be and this is going to song that 
we'll sing. You able to get it? You guys good? Oh, good. So, old school, but it's, old school is the good school sometimes. Um, that, that they sing, and this is a song, and this is a moment where we're declaring and stepping in to what he says we are. Not how we feel we are, but how he feels about us. And I think that is so important to our healing. It's not always feeling like I got to just feel miserable so God can feel pity. It's we step boldly into the throne room and saying, I might feel this way, but you feel differently about me. So I'm going to choose how you feel about me than what I think about me. And that, that does heal something. It's crazy how our crying, but also our joy can heal something. Our, our, the, the peace of God that transcends all understanding can heal something. That, that coming back and getting your cutting edge and the confidence of what He is resurrecting in your life that you are not disqualified. And it's not for what you can do and perform. It's because of how He sees you. He's just like, I am so well. I am so pleased with you. I think you're amazing. I think all your quirks, all that stuff, all that brokenness that I'm going to use to put together, like our sister, that mosaic of who you are and all its complexity and all its intricacy and all that, where you, I, people might not understand. I understand you. I think you're all that. I think you're wonderful. Let me heal up something. Sit at my table. And so I want this to be you respond. If you responding today is not for repentance, you coming up because you say I accept it. I accept that this is who I am. I am a child of God. I am loved. I'm highly favored. I belong at this table. I belong with my brothers and sisters at this place. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I might be a saint, saint struggling with sin, but I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I am so much more. I'm fearfully wonderful. Come on, start accepting these things and let the love of the King and the love of the Father heal you, move you. Let's bury the things of the past and say hello to Solomon. Say hello to wisdom. Say hello to revelation. Those are your inheritance and who you are in Christ. Let's do it. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.